0: Welcome back to the show everyone. It's Dina Kaumetti here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in the series the book of Daniel for beginners and we are on chapter 11 part 1 of chapter 11. Welcome back to the show Susan.
1: Well thanks a lot Dina. Glad to be back. So I'm
0: excited about this chapter today.
1: Oh yeah, this is a big one. Very prophetic. And typically people gloss over this when they're teaching it or when they're reading it. And we're not going to do that. We're going to really dig our heels in and we're going to go in deeper. For deeper meaning, because God really builds it out in this book. It is about 135 prophecies that are actually fulfilled down to the tiniest detail. And so we're gonna we're gonna take a look at this because it's it's so much more significant if we get deeper into this to understanding the whole Bible and the times and even our own times. And so I think we really have to do this. It would be easy to just say, "Okay, these here's the prophecies; they got fulfilled." And but I think we have to really talk about what what God was spelling out in this book. Probably you're not going to hear this anywhere else, or very, uh, very rarely will you hear people go into this much detail. But. Anyway, we can't do chapter 11 all in one show, and that means we're going to have to break it up, but I think that's okay, because I hope people will come back, right?
0: That's right.
1: Okay. Well, we should get started. And so we're going to start right in, uh, you know, right at the beginning uh, at verse one. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to ask people, okay, I'm not going to do a little mini review of what we've covered up to this point, you know, just go back. Uh, and watch, you know, chapters 1 through 10, because they'll really help you up to this point. But, so let's just get started. Okay, chapter 1, verse 1 says here, also I... In the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. Okay, that's Daniel talking right there. And this is really a significant scripture because we know Daniel was brought into the Persian kingdom by Nebuchadnezzar, who was a Babylonian. And he was there under the auspices of the Babylonian kingdom for a period of time and lived through about three kings. And then the Medes and the Persians working together came in and took over babylon and up to the point that they took over babylon was pretty in pretty much impenetrable they had a mighty wall they had the river euphrates that ran in front of it and they were just pretty much pretty self-sure of themselves that they you know no one could break in but what what they did was uh the medes and the persians they got their heads together they uh, dammed up the Euphrates till it was dry, and then they dug under the wall, and they, they took over Babylon very easily. But right here, we can see that Daniel is this takes place during the time that he's under the power of the Medes and the Persians. So we can accurately date the book, this particular book of the Bible, right almost to the penny. Because it says here the first year of Darius the Mede. Well, that would take us right to 539 B.C. And that's what we call pinpoint accurate dating of this particular book. And I think that's pretty awesome. So this is taking place right here uh, about 539 years before we see Jesus show up on the earth. So if that gives you, you know, a framework to work off of, I kind of like to be able to figure out where I am in history on things like this. But let's go ahead, and it says in verse 2, and now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. Okay, again, extremely prophetic, because that's exactly what happens. And it goes on in verse 3 and says, And the mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with Great dominion, and do according to his will and forces. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken, and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven, and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. Okay, what exactly is going on here is it's making reference to the four kings are king number one, which is Cyrus, the king of the Medo-Persian kingdom, and he is Cyrus is the Persian and was, you know, ruling over this kingdom at that time that Daniel is talking. So following him would be Cambyses, Pseudo, Smyrdius. Then Darius First, High Stapes. And then finally, the fourth king is Xerxes, uh, a powerful king who invades Greece in the year 480. BC. So what Daniel just said in that statement there was he was covering 59 years of prophecy between the year he's in, 539 BC, and 480 BC, in which Xerxes is over Persia. I just want to say this. We're going backwards. I know it's a little confusing because, you know, we're in the time of 539 B.C., and going forward, we go to 480 B.C., that's because we count down backwards until we get to the time, the, the time of the birth of Christ, and then we start moving forward, okay? So, for anybody, if that seems confusing, we're going backwards. Going backwards is going forwards in time, so hope that makes sense. So, we see in this prophecy that God just pretty much nails it. He tells exactly what's going to happen, and it comes together exactly as Daniel spoke. So I want to, before we go any further on into this next section, I just want to say something about these prophecies and how prophetic the book of Daniel is overall, it's extraordinarily prophetic. I mean, to have 135 prophecies spoken, which was given to him by the angel, which they all come to pass, 135. So it was so incredibly prophetic, Dina, The theologians, they did not think that the book of Daniel was written at the time that it was written. They thought that it was dated later because nobody could be that prophetic they declared. You know, so a lot of people have said that. And, you know, how could anything be this accurate? Well, I mean, it's accurate because Daniel was prophetic and God is amazing. I mean, he, he knows the beginning from the end. And that's, you know, speaks of the greatness of God. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. So let's go forward. And we see Xerxes. Okay, I mentioned as the fourth king And we see him attack Greece in 480, and that inspires Alexander the Great to come back later to attack the Medo-Persians. So 150 years later, after Xerxes attacks Greece, he turns around and he he goes back for um, revenge on the Persians. Okay, and so that is foretold by Daniel, and we see Alexander the Great, you know, in that time frame was about 336 to 323 BC, so we're moving down backwards, but we can kind of see, you know, where he shows up in history. He accomplished this with a huge army of about 50,000 men. Yeah, that that was quite a large event. But let's go ahead and take a look at verse 5. It says, And the king of the south shall be strong and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. All right, so here's who the king of the south is. That is Egypt. So now we're talking about Egypt at this point, at this juncture. Then let's go on to verse 6. And in the end of the years, they shall join themselves together for the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of the arm, neither shall he stand, nor his arm. But she shall be given up, and they that brought her, and he that begat her, and he that strengthened her in these times. Okay, that's a whole lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, unless you know history. Okay? So let's take a look at this historically. What are we, you know, hearing about? Well, the king of the north, Dina, is Assyria. Or, you know, we could say that's modern day Syria. We're looking at the king of the north being the Seleucid Empire. And so the king of the South was the Ptolemies. Now, if you look at it, the spelling of it, it's it starts P T, so you'd almost want to say Ptolemies. <laughs> it's silent P, so we're just going to say Ptolemies. Okay? You know, I want to just preface this with: you talk about the the McCoys and the Hatfields. Okay? That's kind of what we got going on here in this section of the Bible. <laughs> There's a whole lot of that going on between the king of the North, who is Assyria and the king of the south, which is Egypt. It's a whole bunch of back and forth, and it's it's a, it's very much like the Hatfields and the McCoys. But we're going to get into it and take a look at this. And so we find these kingdoms constantly at war. And so Ptolemy, does he decides to plot a peace plan. He devised this. Now, uh, this king was Ptolemy II. He was the leader of Egypt. And he would give his daughter, whose name was Berenice, to marry Antiochus II of Syria, which was the Seleucid Empire. And Antiochus II, however, wasn't on board with this program. So he contended with this arrangement for a period of time until the father of Berenice died. So Ptolemy II died. He was the one that gave Berenice as a peace offering to the king of the north, uh, the Syrian king Antiochus II. And so it was kind of a failed situation. And so he, you know, dumped Berenice, and he got back together with his former wife, Laodice. That's the name of his former wife. Now, Laodice rhymes with paradise, but i got to tell you that Laodice has nothing to do with paradise. (laughs) She was an evil wicked individual so let's take a look at seven it says but out of a branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate which shall come with an army and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north and shall deal against them and shall prevail and i don't want to get too far into this because i want to talk about laodice and what happened because it's key in moving forward laodice the former wife of antiochus she had Berenice, you know, the uh, Egyptian bride of uh, Antiochus II, poisoned. Oh, boy. And she, Yeah, she didn't stop at that. She murdered her family and the baby. She, you know, she was had a baby child, either she was pregnant with or whatever. So she killed them, and she didn't stop at that. She didn't trust her husband, Antiochus, the second and she had him poisoned too by the way
0: oh my goodness
1: so the south and the north continued fighting over the future leaders you know so there was a lot of fighting going on with these leaders and a lot of this can be seen in verses 8 through 35 of this section but we're gonna we're kind of try to break this down and pick it apart we're not going to go into too much detail because we can't but let's look at eight it says and shall also carry captives into egypt their gods with their princes with their precious vessels of silver and of gold and he shall continue more years than the king of the north okay as i said before this section covers 135 prophecies that actually were fulfilled and came to pass and it's pretty awesome but Ptolemy, the Egyptian king, he actually, at that time, he did in fact do what the scripture said. Daniel's predicting this, but the reality is he did it. Ptolemy carried 2,000 images to Egypt, which they loved because they were all caught up in gods, the Egyptian and the occult, okay? So, my point here is that Daniel's prophecy was absolutely spot on, because Ptolemy did exactly as described here in verse 8. Now, verse 9, it says, so the king of the south, and that's Egypt, shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land. And so, yes, we see, in fact, the truth, Ptolemy returns to Egypt. Now, Seleculus attempts to enter Egypt out of revenge now he was defeated at one point he built a fleet next and it was destroyed by a great storm and then he raised an army and he still was defeated by ptolemy of egypt and so what happens next is laodice remember the poisoning the lady that's poisoning everybody (laughs) yes uh she put her son selectulus the second on the throne of the Syrian dominion, according to history books. And so Seleculus the is comes into power. Now let's take a look. I mentioned 9. It says, so the king of the south shall come into his kingdom and shall return into his own land. And that happened. And then verse 10 says, but his son shall be stirred up and shall assemble a multitude of great forces. And one shall certainly come and overflow and pass through. Then shall he return and be stirred up even to his fortress. So verse 10 happened as well. Because we're talking about who stirred up. It was the brother of Berenice She's the daughter of the Egyptian king Ptolemy II And remember as soon as Ptolemy Died then things start happening Because Antiochus didn't want anything To do with her anymore mm-hmm. But then they were all poisoned But now what has happened Is the brother of Berenice He is Ptolemy the third. So Ptolemy II died And then the brother of Berenice Ptolemy the third, takes over Him And he is basically coming back to avenge the death of Berenice and that family because of the poisoning, Laodice of Syria. But, you know, what happens was he went after Seleculus II, who was put there by Berenice's murderer, Laodice. And that was, you know, her son, Laodice's son. Mm -hmm. And so, Ptolemy III went after that group because of the poisoning. So, the Bible, again, is absolutely 100% accurate all the way. I mean, you got to figure that Daniel spoke this before any of this. This is just fantastic, right? So, we go on to 11. And the king of the south, which is Egypt, shall be moved with choler, and shall come forth and fight with him, even with the king of the north, and that's Syria. And he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. See, Seleculus the third, third of... Strife and assemble a multitude of great forces and conquer the land of the Holy Land. And so they're going to go after the Holy Land. And when he hath taken away the multitude, in verse 12, his heart shall be lifted up and he shall cast down many, ten thousands, but he shall not be strengthened by it. So what's going on here is Seleculus III and Antiochus III, who are the two sons of Seleculus II. Seleculus II, we remember, was given power by Laodice... And that was her son. But now the times have changed. Seleculus third and Antiochus the third are the sons of the Seleculus II. Now, it makes it a little confusing because they all have the same name, okay? <laughs> We're just going by the seconds and the thirds. But the, the fact of the matter is that these two sons took over for Laodice's son, who was in power. And so the two sons, they took over but seleculus the third only ruled a short time and was succeeded by his brother antiochus the third and so in battle antiochus the third who is the son of seleculus the second took back the holy land from the ptolemies of egypt now, this is where I have to explain the situation. We've got the Ptolemies of Egypt, and we have this group in Syria. They're constantly fighting. But here's what makes it so interesting. The Holy Land is right in the middle between these two warring nations. So it's a constant back and forth of who's in charge of the Holy Land between the Egyptians and the Syrians. And it's a constant, you know, they take over and then the Holy Land goes under their power and back and forth. And so that's kind of why this is so significant to the Jews and what God is foretold through Daniel about all of this. So let's go forward with verse 11. And, you know, the last thing I said was, now remember, that in battle, Assyria took back the Holy Land from Egypt at this point in the Scripture. And so 11 says, And the king of the south shall be moved with choler, and come forth and fight with him even with the king of the north, and he shall set forth a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into his hand. Then 12 says, And when he hath taken away the multitude, his heart shall be lifted up, and he shall cast down many ten thousands but he shall not be strengthened by it and we're going to go ahead and take a look at this antiochus the third is defeated at battle of Raphia. there's a battle of Raphia, forcing him to give the dominion of the holy land to return to ptolemy the fourth of egypt okay so he's they've lost the power of the holy land and it goes back to control under egypt in this particular battle let's take a look at verse 13 for the king of the north shall return and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come after certain years with a great army and with much riches and in those time there shall many stand up against the king of the south which is egypt and also the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves to establish the vision but they shall fall 15 says so the king of the north that's syria shall come and cast up a mount and take the most fenced cities and the arms of the south, which is Egypt, shall not withstand neither his chosen people, neither shall there be any strength to withstand. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land, which by his hand shall be consumed. All right, so that passage there... It just shows that there's constant battles between these two kings and regions raged with the Holy Land in between, constantly contending with these murdering nations, Syria and Egypt. And so by 16, we see here Antiochus III has uh, invaded Egypt. Now, I'm talking about Antiochus III of Syria has invaded Egypt and takes back control of Ptolemy V and the Holy Land, once again. So it's kind of a big, you know, back and forth, back and forth. So the reason this is so significant that we talk about this is, you know, we're setting up the stage for the coming of Christ and you know we're looking at the life and times of the Jews and the things that they struggled through during this period of time so in verse 14 many shall rise up against the king of the south well the Holy Land Jews assisted Antiochus the third of Syria to defeat the rule of Egyptian Ptolemies, because the Jews did not like Egyptian rule over them, and more than likely it would have been because of their occult worship. Yeah, the Egyptians were very involved in the occult, and I'm sure the Jews were not happy with being ruled over by the Ptolemies. Okay, so what they do is they come in in support of the Syrians against the Egyptians at that juncture. Okay, and so again, we're talking about uh, verse 16, but he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land, which by his hand shall be consumed. Now, the glorious land there is talking about the Holy Land, of course. Okay, so the, the Jewish welcome Antiochus III of Syria to rule, you know, they support him in this battle and they welcome them, but then their decision turns against them as Antiochus the Third turns on them and brings destruction to them. And, you know, this is very much a prophetic picture of the Antichrist to come in Revelation during the first three and a half years of tribulation, okay? And this is why I believe that the Bible refers to the future Antichrist as the Syrian, because they fall for this idea that Syria is their Messiah, and this rule, and that they've gotten out of the clutches of Egypt, but then it backfires on him grand scale. Okay? And this is a picture of the times to come when the Jews will lend themselves over to the rule of the Antichrist, believing, trusting in that peace covenant that happens the first three and a half years of tribulation. Okay? So let's take a look at verse 17. It says here, He shall also set his face to enter with the strength of the whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but she shall not stand on his side neither neither be for him all right who is that woman i'm gonna tell you this is fulfilled when antiochus the third who is the syrian gives his daughter cleopatra to ptolemy the fifth of egypt is the fifth in line of the ptolemies we you know we started with ptolemy in the beginning ptolemy the second and now we're down to ptolemy the fifth of egypt and so, it's very interesting to note, remember, it was Ptolemy II who gave Berenice over to the Seleucids in exchange for peace, and it failed. It failed miserably. But in this case, the role is reversed. It's the Syrians who give their daughter, Cleopatra, to Egypt in, in a bid for peace. Again, you know, we see this happen a lot. <laughs> we see in history, you know, uh, the Egyptians, remember, the Pharaoh gave his daughter to Solomon, you know, to, to create peace. So this mm-hmm. is like a normal thing. But this time, the roles are reversed. But watch what happens here. The plan fails because Cleopatra is un faithful to ptolemy v the egyptian this did not work out so this was the first cleopatra who was the ancestor of cleopatra ii who shows up a hundred years later in history so there are two cleopatras and the one uh, the second one is probably the more popular or well i'm not going to say popular but i'm going to say more well known of cleopatra's did you know there were two cleopatra's (laughs)
0: I didn't know that. It's very interesting. Yeah,
1: right. And this was the first Cleopatra. There's another one that comes later. She shows up 100 years later after this first one. But this... This is a failed tent. Again, you know, you can't put these women in there expecting that it's going to work out. And it didn't in this case either. And I think that's kind of interesting. So that's what that is all about. Okay, verse 18 says, After this shall he turn his face unto the isles, and shall take many. But a prince, for his own behalf, shall cause the reproach offered to him to cease. Without his own reproach, he shall cause it to turn upon him. Now, 19 says, Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found." Okay, so after the disaster of Cleopatra with Antiochus III, king of the north, he turns his efforts. Now see, that didn't work at all, that situation. So next he turns his efforts to the coastland and he focuses Asia Minor and Greece. And he uses a guy named Hannibal, who was a famous general. But a Roman general named Lucas Cornelius Scipio defeats him in Greece. So he returns to live to his home and dies defeated. He even attempted to pillage a Babylonian temple and was killed by the local citizens for his attempt to do that. And so the scripture comes to pass right here. It says that then he shall turn his face toward the ford of his own land but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Okay, so 20 goes on and says, Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. So what is that about? Well, that's Seleculus third, who is the son of the king of the north, which is Syria. Antiochus the 3rd, and he reigns next. He raised taxes on everyone including the Holy Lands, and he plans to pillage the Jerusalem temple. He has an ambassador who has an angelic vision of warning about doing that, but Seleucus the 3rd is assassinated and some believe his brother Antiochus the 4th did it. So his own brother assassinates him. And that's what they believe historically, and so again, we see the Bible come together. It's just fantastic. It says he's not, he's not destroyed in anger or battle, but he was assassinated by his own brother, most most likely. That's what we see in the history records. All right, so verse twenty-one says, "And in his estate shall." Stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Okay, I want to tell you who this guy is. His name is Antiochus IV, and he is that person who just assassinated his own brother. But now, as I get into this description, you're going to really be fascinated. This guy's name in history records, he's Antiochus IV, but his historical name is Antiochus Epithanes, who was a form and type of the Antichrist himself. And he succeeds his brother through murder, and he comes in power through flatteries. Even as the Bible described, it's a picture of the soon-coming Antichrist. And he's a Syrian. Again, the and the future Antichrist to come is called the Syrian. Why? Well, definitely because one of the reasons is he comes in peace. You know, the Antichrist is going to walk right in in peace. He's not going to have to war or battle to get into power. He's going to take them by peace. And how does he do it? Through flatteries. Now, how did Antichrist? How did Antiochus Epiphanes in verse 21 do it? Well, he flattered Eumenes, the king of the Pergamos, Attalus his brother, the Romans, and the Syrians. So he was busy running around flattering. And the Bible refers to him, right here it says, and his estate shall stand up a vile person. And that's who we're talking about here. And that's, you know, he went around flattering everybody and, and came into power. But in 22 it says, and with arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken. Yea, also the prince of the covenant. And 23 says, and after the leak made with him, he shall work deceitfully for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people twenty forces and he shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province and he shall do that which his fathers have not done nor his father's fathers He shall scatter among the prey and spoil and riches, and yea, he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds, even for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south, that's Egypt, with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him, yea, they that feed of the portion. Now, I don't want to get into that yet. Let me just go back. To 25. Okay, so what happens here is I want to talk about Antiochus Epiphanes. He, by the way, he takes the name Epiphanes for himself, and that means he bestows this title on himself. Uh, he's such an egomaniac. Epiphanes translates to mean illustrious. Now, he's really a madman, but he calls himself Antiochus the Illustrious. That's what that means. So Daniel is told that this man is vile person. And so he attempts a deceitful covenant with the king of the south, which is Egypt. And he fails and leads to a great battle and so epiphanes pretends a friendship but it leads to an epic battle and you know his own army is defeated and so it's the second defeat between epiphanes and egypt is accomplished and it's done with the help of rome so the romans come forward and help egypt in bringing antiochus under roman rule and so this is fascinating because the Roman navy defeats the navy of Epiphanes with the help of a Roman general. And this literally happens in the history books. The Roman general who puts Epiphanes under his rule, he drew a circle around him in the dirt and demanded that if he would surrender and pay tribute to Rome before stepping out of the circle, then he could survive. And Epiphanes was ruled by Rome from that point forward. So Syria was taken over by Roman rule at that juncture that literally did happen when I just said then we see now here's something interesting in verse 26 comes to pass just as God says it says yea that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him and his army shall overflow and many shall fall down slain okay well what does that mean well believe it or not The scripture is accurate. Antiochus Epiphanes was killed by his own counselors. And that's exactly what it says here in 26. They that feed a portion of his meat shall destroy him. And that's exactly what happens. His own counsel uh, kills him. And they probably recognize that he was quite the madman. And so they took matters into their own hands. Okay. And let's take a look here. In 27 it says and both these king's hearts shall be to do mischief and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper for yet the end shall be at the time appointed and then shall he return unto his own land and great riches and his heart shall be against the holy covenant and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. And at the appointed time he shall return and come toward the south, but it shall not be as the former as the latter. Okay, I want to stop here. And I want to say that even though we find that he dies in Scripture in 26, and 27 on still is talking about Epiphanes. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why we see his death in 26, but we're still talking about him in 27 and 28 and 29 here. You know, for some reason God put it in that order. But Epiphanes returns to his land and turns to attack the holy land and he returned from egypt bitter defeat so he was beaten by egypt through the help of the romans and like i said they they drew a line in the dirt and they said don't even mess with us okay so here's what happens he's angry and he wants you know he's bitter and so he vents his anger against jerusalem now remember, you know, Jerusalem and Israel is in between these two warring kingdoms. And so now he's raging mad because Rome and Egypt have beat him, and so he turns him against the Jews at this point. And he's already, you know, shaken by what has happened. But There's a situation that he moves in and he forces the Jews to follow Greek culture, forsaking their own customs. And they have people in charge that go along with this this plan. So they follow along with Epiphane. But again, it's going to backfire on them. And verse 28, it says, then shall he return to his land with great riches and heart shall be against the holy covenant and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. Okay, Epiphane's point, he takes Jewish plunder to soothe his pride. And he's wounded by Egypt that was assisted by Rome. And so what does he do? He goes into the Holy Land and he takes plunder to suppress his you know, frustration with what happened. So in verse 29, it says at the time appointed, he shall return, return and come toward the south, which is Egypt, but it shall not be as the former or as the latter. And 40 says for the ships of Chittim, okay, that means Cyprus, shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant, so shall he do. And he shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. The ship from Cyprus shall come against Epiphanes, and again through the Romans, once again, he's angry again from Roman defeat at this point, at this juncture. And so, in thirty-one, it says, "And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of the strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate." This is very significant here, and I got to tell you why. Because Antiochus Epiphanes, this madman, sets up the image of Zeus and/or Jupiter. Like Zeus is the mythological god of the Greeks. And then it's also the same mythological god is Jupiter of the Romans. And I believe it's one in the same person, Zeus and Jupiter. But one, you know, is part of the Greek mythology and one is part of Roman mythology. And what does Epiphanes do? He sets up this statue or image in the Jewish temple altar demanding sacrifice to this image of this mythological god. Later, what does he do? He sacrifices a pig, you know, to this god Which is an abomination to the Jews, and it's so great of an abomination that no one would worship in the temple again. And, you know, that's what we're talking about after that, creating the desolation. It's the abomination that maketh desolate. Why is it desolate? Because what he's done is so horrible to the Jews that they don't want anything to do with that temple anymore. They consider it to be unclean. They consider it to be, you know, just completely unclean. They want no part. And this is really significant, Dina because this is a foretelling of the antichrist who will go in the temple of the Jews the next temple they make the third temple that they make and they build for the you know the tri- during the tribulation period and the antichrist goes in there and declares himself god and this is a foretelling of that in Scripture. And what's even more amazing is this this actually and literally does happen. God said it, and it happened. Now, Zeus, Jupiter are the embodiment of Satan. Okay, what is the description of Zeus and Jupiter? I'll tell you. He was the chief god of their gods of the Roman and Greek mythologies and Zeus was considered the god of the sky. Okay, what is the connection? There it is, the prince and principalities of the air. And so the chief duty of all, and it's also considered the god whose chief duty of all gods and humans is to be over all the humans and the gods, the other gods. Zeus, also known as Jupiter, between those two cultures, was the chief god of all gods. Now, that is exactly Satan in this passage. Why do we know that this is Satan? Well, there's an important scripture. Let me just read this really quickly, because we have to read this to understand. And if we go into Revelation chapter 2, Jesus talks about the seven churches, and what one of the seven churches is Pergamon and Pergamon is exactly what we're talking about here. Here it is. The angel of the church in Pergamos, write These things say a pea, which have the sharp sword with two edges. Now, this is Jesus himself speaking in chapter two, verse 12 and verse, verse 13. It says, and I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou shalt holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, and even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Okay, if you knew exactly where that was, uh, archaeologists say that that was the temple of Zeus in Pergamon that Jesus is making reference to. So Jesus is even calling Zeus, the god Zeus, and Jupiter, Satan. He even refers to that God as Satan. And so, I think what we can conclude here is that at the time of the flood, when the three sons of Noah go out into the world, what happens is they recall what happened with the fallen angels who mated with the women of the men in the earth, and they would have remembered all of that because they were grown married men. And so, when they When these stories came down from them, they became the mythological characters. And so when people were setting up statues and worshiping them, they were actually worshiping in reality, not just mythological gods, they were worshiping the fallen angels and Satan himself through these events. And in 32, it says, And such do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So there were many Jews who did accept the rule of the Epiphanes and follow his lead by taking on the culture of the Greeks and their gods. But there were also so many of the Jews that were persecuted for standing up for not going against God. And that's what this is talking about when it says, and the people that do know their God and shall be strong and do exploits. And so they stood up. To that and 33 it says and they understand among the people shall instruct many that they shall fall by the sword by the flame by captivity by spoil many days. Now, when they shall fall, they shall be helped with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. So many of the Jews did go along with the, what was forced on them to worship the, you know, these Greek gods and change their culture. But, like I said, so many would go against them. Now, how many? Well, I can give you a feel because we know, I can tell you exactly, that when Epiphanes took over the Holy Land, after he was raging mad from his defeat, between, you know, Egypt and the help of Rome, he took it out on the Jews. And here's what he accomplished in verse 33 that I just read. Antiochus Epiphanes, this evil, evil man, he killed 80,000 Jews. And he took forty thousand as prisoners, and he sold an additional forty thousand to be slaved. He even, you know, after he became a desolate because he sacrificed a pig to a fallen angel, Satan, in the temple. But he also plundered it, and and guess what? The amount. Uh, Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, if you calculated the amount of what he stole out of that temple in today's modern calculation, it would amount to a billion dollars. So that's what he did during that time. And so we're talking about the temple and persecution of these of the Jews. And all of this is pointing, you know, this point. Daniel received this prophecy and it all comes together, but it also points to the future, Dina, and it points to the coming Antichrist and how he's going to smooth talk his way into a peace covenant that's going to lure them into believing, oh, you know, now they're safe. Now there's peace. And then he's going to turn on them in a dramatic way. And about midway through the tribulation, then they're going to turn back to Jesus. But it's going to be a rough go for them, no doubt. And we can see this right in the scripture. It's pretty much foretold in all of this scripture. But there's a lot more to be said. And so I think we're going to stop right here and uh, continue on in the next program.
0: Well, that was just absolutely fascinating. And so thank you so much, Susan, for bringing these scriptures to us and interpreting them and explaining them. Just absolutely fascinating. So with that said, thank you to everybody who has tuned in to this episode. You'll be able to find it on uh, Susan's YouTube at Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Also here on my YouTube as well as our Rumble channel and also our Bitch shoot. And on podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple and also on several of Susan's Facebook pages. Rapture is very soon, End Times News Report. You can find it on my Facebook. And you know what? We'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to hear what you think. Your comment below this video. We love hearing from you guys. Susan, is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: Yes, I just want to be sure to mention that um, after this study or during, however you want, definitely go to our revelation for beginners program um i think it'll really help tie all this together with what we're doing here in daniel and um so check that out
0: yeah you guys will love that series and i'll have a link below this video so again thank you everybody thank you susan thank you to the audience and um we will talk to you soon god bless